I'd love to start by asking you the question, how do you respond when you lose something that's of value? I'll give you a little bit of a window into me. Um, I'm a little bit of a loser, like obviously not in life, but um, when it comes to stuff, I've got a terrible track record. So a little example, once I was with the youth at Soul Survivor, and instead of walking to the shower, I decided to take the Archer's van, and I drove to the shower. And somewhere between the van and the shower and coming back, the key got lost, to the point at which someone had to drive from Somerset to Nottingham with a spare one, only for me to find out later that night that the key was in the roll-up of my jeans the entire time. I've lost, lost my passport, not once, but twice, and you would have thought I would have learnt my lesson the first time when I nearly missed out on a family holiday. So I should have known better when um, I was in India last year and I lost my passport. And um, I was two hours into an Indian-style motorway. If you've ever been to India, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, we, we, we were on a tight time schedule. And um, what happened is part of the way into that journey, I realized that I'd lost my rucksack. And in my rucksack was my passport, wallet, uh, uh, money, obviously that's the wallet, uh, iPad, everything that was of any value. It was a right nightmare, and we were running out of time to get to the airport. So this sort of Indian-style search party started. There was people everywhere trying to find it, phone calls everywhere. And eventually, after dodging some cows on the motorway, doing a UE, defying death a number of times, I was reunited with that bag. And if you've been there, it was like a scene out of a movie because this guy comes on a moped, whizzing down the motorway, like this, this big bag on his back. And um, when he jumps off his moped to give me the bag, all sort of cultural appropriateness went out the window as I threw my arms around him and I told him that I loved him. And he said, you remember me when you're in England. So... We remember him today. <laughs> but today we're going we're gonna to look at three lost stories that Jesus told in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to open it up to Luke 15. And these stories are called parables, world stories that help us to see kingdom truths. So as I said, we're in Luke 15, and as Bodas mentioned the other week, through chapters 14 to 20 of Luke, there's this escalating interest in Jesus. Crowds are gathering, people are coming towards him. But meanwhile, the religious authorities, they really didn't like it, because they were accusing Jesus of not really respecting the law, or behaving like a respectable rabbi, because he was hanging out with all sorts of people, those they classed as unworthy, tax collectors, outcasts, basically the people that were outside of their special club. And in these stories that we're about to hear, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees. He's exposing their hypocrisy and ultimately revealing to them that whilst they were trying their best to follow the law, that they'd lost sight of what was most important to God. And Jesus responds by telling us these three stories. So we're going to read 32 verses of Luke tonight. And so to mix it up a bit, I've got Sam, who is an excellent reader, to read it. So let's welcome Sam. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep 
and loses one of them? Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. For while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property on, with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Great. Thank you so much, Sam. Great job. I think we need to commission Sam to record the entire New Testament or something. Great, great reader. Great reader. But it's amazing to read those stories together as a three, isn't it? Because these, the three parables, three lost situations, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And Jesus 
he intentionally, he told these stories together to illustrate the same point, to really drive the message home. It's almost like he, to- he tells one story and he's like, if you don't get that, like, bam, here's another one. If you don't get that one, bam, here's another one. The repetition is so crucial to the point. Jesus was so effective in getting the truth sought so that it gets stuck and it be shared for generations to come. And that's really what's happened with these parables. And um, the headline truth, as, as I read those this week, the headline thing that stands out to me in these three parables is this phrase, God is for you. God is for you. And these two words, for you, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you'll, you'll realize that they're part of our vision focus for this year, which John shared just a couple of weeks back. Hopefully, hopefully you're starting to remember it. Shall we try it? For Jesus, for Nottingham, and the last one is for you. So for Jesus, for Nottingham, for you. Maybe we should get some temporary tattoos printed for this year or something, or a fridge magnet at the very least. But we've looked at for Jesus. Last week we looked at for Nottingham. Let's hear what John had to say about for you. For you, for you who are part of this family, we want you to grow in relationship with God and with others, to be equipped to live really fruitful lives and grow as disciples, supported by everything that goes on here. This church is for you. And for you is also an invitation. Trent Vineyard is here for those who are not yet part of a church for those who don't yet know Jesus, don't yet know their Heavenly Father. And our desire is that anyone searching for God would feel invited and welcome here. We want to grow this year in expressing love on an individual level within the church, and especially in reaching out to others with the invitation to come and find a home with us where they can grow in relationship with Jesus. So tonight we're looking at for you. And Simon Ponsonby says this, he says, it's one thing to believe God is. It's an altogether thing to believe God is for me. Do you believe that God is for you? Because it's only in grasping and being grasped by this fact that you will be the person and live the life that God desires for you. This phrase, for you, actually, guys, is a game changer. And for me, even though it's a familiar phrase, it's as profound to me tonight as it was 20 years ago when I met Jesus. God is for me. You know, that's where my journey with Jesus started. And that's where it needs to stay because it's a truth from which everything else makes sense. Because if we want to be all out, if we want to live all out for Jesus, we want to be lights in this world, we want to live for Nottingham and for the world, we've got to get our heads around this. God is for you. That's the headline from these parables. And here's the subpoints: He values you, he searches for you, and he rejoices over you. One lost sheep, so valuable that a shepherd would leave 99 to find the lost one. One lost coin, so valuable that a lady would light a lamp, she'd sweep her whole house until she finds it. One lost son, who's so valuable to his father, that he would put aside all cultural rules and regulations and run towards him. One found sheep, one found coin, one found son, and in each case, a party is thrown. Value, search, and joy. So first up, God values you. 
In each of these three parables, there's such, a, such an emphasis on the thing that's lost, isn't there? Not so much the value on the thing that's found, but the thing that is lost. And actually, it's pretty crazy. I mean, if you were the shepherd in that story with the sheep, how would you respond? I don't know what I would have done because obviously I'm not a shepherd. But I might have had this kind of attitude. I might have thought, well, I've kind of got 99. If I was to get 99% in an exam, I'd think, smashed it. So let's not worry about the one. Let's, let's just think 99 is good. Maybe I'll go take a nap or something. Or, or if I was the lady looking for the coin, I might think, man, I've got nine coins. Why do I need to have another one? But the exact opposite attitude happens to that. Verse 4 says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep till he finds it? Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Because these parables, they're almost written in the way where it's like, uh, it's a no-brainer. Of course you go after the one. The sheep and the coin, they're so valuable because of what they represent. And I just want to zoom in on the coins here for a moment because Bible scholars tell us that in ancient Israel, that ladies would wear headbands around their heads with 10 coins on them. And those coins probably represented something of a gift or a dowry. They were valuable to the lady. So imagine the lady's horror when she wakes up in the morning and the headband is broken. The coins are all over the floor and she can't find one. No wonder she searched for it until she finds it, because she really values that lost coin. And then we move on to the story of the lost son. You know, what a story. It's a right scandal, really, when you think about it, isn't it? You know, there's two sons. Lots could be said about the older son and the younger son. But we're, we're looking at the younger son just, just for the moment. And the younger son comes, and he asks for his inheritance early, which, by the way, is very cheeky. You know, I've asked my dad a few cheeky questions over the years. For example, every time it's birthday or Christmas time, I ask for a yellow Mini Cooper, which has always been answered with a firm, you've got to be joking, an absolute no. A cheeky question to ask. But I can't even perceive asking my dad for an inheritance. It would be so outrageous. But the younger son in this story, when you think about it, he wants the money not the relationship with his father. Have you ever thought about that before? The son chooses the stuff over the relationship with his father. And that's the dilemma I guess all of us face. You know, are we pursuing a relationship with our heavenly father? Or are we wooed by the stuff, by promotion, by new things, by money? So anyway, the father, he, he somehow agrees to this and he gives him more than his fair share. So the son takes the cash and legs it. That's my words. And so he goes on a spending spree, he spends it all, he gets into a right mess, and then he comes to his senses and he starts to turn from what he was doing and to make his way back to his father. And the verse that I'm totally capt captivated by in that parable is this. Verse 20 says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran towards his son. He, he threw his arms around him, pulled him to his face and kissed him. Why would a father respond in that way? Because he valued his son. He valued his son with a, with a love that was undeserving, 
that was relentless, that was unconditional. And some of you, I guess, you can identify with that tonight, with, with the way perhaps that you love your kids. Others of you, it might be someone in your life, maybe a housemate, a family member, a friend, who despite their poor choices, you just can't give up on them because you love them and value them too much. I've, um, I've seen a tiny glimpse of this in my non-perfect family. You know, I'm one of four kids, and over the teenage years, it was a bumpy old time for my parents. All of us had our moments. Some of us more than others. I like to think me less so. But we all did stupid things. You know, we all went off at times our own way. We made poor choices. We got into trouble. We asked for totally unreasonable birthday presents. But no matter how bad it got, or how horrendous it was for my parents, and sometimes it was horrendous, they never stopped loving us. And that response was brilliant when it was me doing something wrong. But when it was my siblings causing the pain and the upset, I didn't have so much grace. I'd be asking my parents, why are you putting up with this kind of behavior? It's outrageous. They don't deserve your love in this way. Why don't you just teach them a lesson or something? But the response would always be, look, you don't understand. That's our child, and we love them, and we won't stop. You see, that's a little bit like the father in this story. The father valued the son, despite the son's actions. And this is a profound truth. A profound truth. Profound for the son in that story. For the sheep and the coin. And profound for us too. Because Jesus, he uses these parables to give us an insight into the character of God that is totally consistent with the rest of the Bible. You know, I just love the lyrics from that song we sang tonight, Reckless Love. Because poetically, they, they say so much truth, don't they, about God's love for us. So I'm going to read just some of them just now. And I've tweaked it so it's really personable to you. And I'd love for you, perhaps as I read it, just to, just to close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that. Because there's some of you who, you need to hear this truth for the first time. And there's many of you tonight who you need to hear it again. You want to be for Jesus. You want to be for Nottingham. You need to know that God is for you and that he values you. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases you down. It fights till you're found. Leaves the 99. You can earn it. You don't deserve it. Still, Jesus gives himself away. There's no shadow that he won't light up. There's no mountain that he won't climb up. He's coming after you. There's no wall he won't kick down. No lie that he won't tear down. He's coming after you. What amazing, profound lyrics. That's the value that he places on you. And Jesus went to the most extreme length to demonstrate that for you on the cross. God values you so much that he gave his life for you. Probably the, mo the most well-known Bible verse in the world is this. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his own son. So that we don't have to die, but we can have a relationship with him forever. He values you. Secondly, he searches for you. Has anybody here lost something that they've never actually found? Hmm. 
it's really annoying, isn't it? I, um, I was thinking this week, you know, maybe you've lost a jump or a jigsaw piece or something. I can tell already emotions coming up. But I had this, um, this bobble hat. And I loved this bubble hat. I was kind of obsessed with it. It was like purple and had these like lighter shade of purple spots on. And then it had one pink spot on it. And I just loved wearing it. I'd wear it all the time. And then one day I lost it and I couldn't find it. And this slightly angry version of myself came up. I wasn't fun anymore. And I was looking for this hat, looking for the hat, looking for the hat. And even now thinking about it, I'm wondering where it is. But you know, the point, in fact, this is slightly off piece, but last night I discovered down the radiator, there was a few lost things, and I started putting them out, and I thought, I'm going to find this hat, but I didn't. <laughs> so, um, sad times. But the point is, that, it, that the point comes when we're looking for something, we don't always find it. We give up. I stopped looking. I had to move on. But what happens in this story, in these stories, is so far from that. Do you notice in both those stories with the sheep and the coin, the shepherd searches, the lady searches until she finds the thing. We don't know whether it was minutes, hours, days, could have been longer. The point is this. The search party is committed to finding that thing that's lost. There's no hint that it's being called off. And I think the story of the lost son is pretty intriguing here because if you remember, the father doesn't start searching for the son in the same way that the shepherd and the lady do. What happens is the son comes to his senses, and it's as he turns back towards the father that the father starts running. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. It's interesting. I don't know whether you've ever thought about that before. The father is patient. He doesn't run straight after his son. He waits for his return. The son comes to his senses. And what's interesting here is that Bible people think that the son came to his senses less because he'd hit, he'd hit rock bottom, less because he'd squandered all the money, and more because he started to remember what it was like to have a relationship with his father. This longing grew in his heart. I miss my father. And the son here, his attitude flips because he realizes he wants the relationship with his father, not the money. And so in that sense, it was the draw of the father, the search of the father, that even while the son was far off, the father was still drawing him to himself. I love hearing stories of God pursuing people. You know, we see evidence of it all the time. And I was chatting with Ben just the other day about about somebody that he'd met on the streets. Him and his team go out on the streets to tell people about Jesus. And just some time back, they met somebody on the streets. And um, they ended up having an amazing conversation with this guy. And it was was profound. And, And in that conversation, with tears rolling down this guy's face, this guy ends up giving his life to Jesus, accepting Jesus into his heart. And so the conversation ends, and he says to Ben... This conversation has been so timely because I was about to do something really silly. So a few weeks later, uh, Ben gave him a call. They follow up the people they meet on the streets. And this is what happened on that phone call in Ben's own words. When he answered the phone, he was out of breath and said, I'm actually out running with my dog. The only reason I answered was because just at the moment you called, I was thinking about the energy of Jesus and what that would feel like in my life. 
He then asked, what made you call at this exact moment? Are you some kind of guardian angel? I said, of course not. But Jesus loves you and he is running after you. He really wants to be in your life. They had an amazing chat and Ben is still in touch with that guy. But the point is this, God is pursuing that guy. He's seeking him out. He's searching for him. And for some of you tonight, the reason you're here is because God is seeking you out. He's searching for you. No matter who you are or what you've done, he's searching and seeking for a relationship with you. He values you. He searches for you. He rejoices over you. If you're to read those, those passages again, what you'll realize is that, the, that all three stories end in a really similar way. The lost sheep ends like this. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The lost coin. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Strikingly, how similarly they end. The lost son ends like this. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. He was dead and now he's, now he's alive. He was lost and he's found. So they begin to celebrate. All those three stories, they end with a celebration for the thing that was lost when it's found. And this celebration isn't just limited to the individual, is it? It's not limited to the shepherd, to the lady, to the father. In all three stories, they're gathering people, family members, the people in the villages. Come and celebrate. This thing that was lost is now found. There's a joy in it. There's such a rejoicing over the thing that's lost. That is, again, so consistent with what we see in the Bible. Isaiah 62 verse 5 says this, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says this, The Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now, every day is a school day, yeah? And um, I've learned something this week, so I thought I'd share it with you. Is that Okay. Literally, the Hebrew in which that verse is written, that last one I, I just read out, Zephaniah 3.17, could equally be translated this. He will jump and spin around, making loud whooping noises. <laughs> he will jump and spin around, making loud whooping noises over you. How amazing is that? And you know, here in, in England, we can be a little bit reserved in the way we celebrate. You know, if something's good, we're like... Great job. You know, if we're really thinking it's good, perhaps we raise our hands a bit, a bit higher. If we're really, really excited, maybe we'd, we'd get up and we'd be like, yeah, come on. But that is nothing in comparison to what God is trying to say to us here in this passage. It looks a lot more like this. That's good, isn't it? He will jump and spin around, making loud whooping noises over you. 
For those of you that are following Jesus, have you ever stopped to consider that at the moment you met Jesus, that there was a party in heaven over your life? God was jumping and spinning around, making loud whooping noises over you. It's amazing. He does that over us. I can't get my head around it. You know, we were lost, now we're found as a party. The youth team were celebrating last Sunday morning. A few weeks back, if you were here, we had a baptism service. And as part of that, a number of young people got baptized. And one of those, her name's Imi, she's 13 years old. She invited a load of her mates along to that. And one of them has been coming along to youth on Tuesday nights. And then last Sunday, she came along to youth for the first time. And last Sunday morning, there was over 100 youth there. And as the team sort of recounted the story to me, it sounds like as they worshipped, the presence of God fell in the room. So much so that a number of young people started to physically respond to meeting with Jesus. And uh, one of our team, Liv, she was there and she thought, for this young person who's new, this could seem a little bit strange. And so she went over and had a chat with her. And um, they had a bit of a conversation and, and, and Liv said to her, do you want to meet Jesus this morning? And this young lady says, yes, I do. This young person meets Jesus last Sunday morning. And she's there again at youth on Tuesday, and Imi apparently has given her one of her Bibles so she can start reading it. I love that story. And I was especially moved by it this week because I was in the middle of preparing this talk. And I was thinking about it. You know, Jesus rejoices over the one. You know, there were over 100 young people there last Sunday morning, but Jesus chose to meet specifically in that way with that one. And this young person will hopefully spend the rest of her life knowing that her father in heaven is for her. He values her, searches for her, and rejoices over her life. Everybody feeling okay? Yeah? You know, what a great Sunday to come to church on because you, you, you come along and, and the speaker gets up and says, God is for you. Who doesn't want to know that? God is for you. He values you, searches for you, rejoices over you. He feels like that about me. And that makes me feel brilliant. It makes me feel like I can do anything. Like I'm like the most special person in this room. God is so for me. But the most challenging thing about all of this is that when that really starts to sink in, when this truth really starts to take hold of our lives, as I look around, I also have to believe that Anne, God is for you. That Micah, God is for you. That Dan, God's for you. Paul, God's for you. Dirta, God is for you. Bob, he's for you. Bill, he's for you. Ryan, for you. Will, for you. He's for that person that sat on your left and your right. He's for that person that you find a bit annoying at work or at uni. He's for that family member that you've fallen out with. He's for that friend who never seems interested. He's for your neighbour who always parks outside your house. God is for you. But he is also not just for you. Because he is for them. He values them. He searches. He is searching for them. And he will rejoice over them. And God is wanting to use us, those of us here who are following Jesus, to join in his search for them. 
Are we going to live for Jesus and for Nottingham in this world and be lights in the world? And that's the reason I love that story that just happened in youth, because Imi realized at some point that God was for her. But she also realized that God was not just for her. Just like in those parables, the, the party wasn't just for her, it was to include others into. And so she invited her mates in. And there's an invitation in these parables for us to join in too. We were invited into the story. The question is, are we going to get involved? Are we going to be like the shepherd who goes after that lost sheep? Or the lady who, who searches for the coin? Or the father who runs towards his son? Or are we going to be like the older son? Who when he found out there was a party... He came back from the field, he stood outside, and he refused to go in. Verse 28 says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So this older son is, is outside and angry, and because the father values not just the younger son, but the older son, he goes out and he pleads with him. Come in, your, your brother, he was lost, now he's found. Come and join the party. How does the older son respond? Well, you know, does, does he come in? Does he stay outside? Does he join the party? Well, these parables leave it on a little bit of a cliffhanger. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what we do know is that the Father's invitation is clear. Come and join the party. God is so for you. He values you. He rejoices over you. And once we start to realize it, really own it, believe it, We've got to live it because we too are invited to join in with God in the search and the celebration for them. For that work colleague, your housemate, your neighbour, your family member and your friend. If you're able, why don't you stand?